0: Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey.
1: Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder, Scott Harkey of the Harky Group. So joining us today is Brandon Dell, who is the messaging expert and tech executive at Brandon Dell, which is a positioning and messaging expert to top technology brands with clients including Expedia, ADP, HP, YC, and 99 other brands portfolio startup companies. His book, The 12 Immutable Laws of High-Impact Messaging, shares rules for standing out in crowded marketplaces. Brandon's new course, A $1 Billion Pitch, examines eight elements of $1 billion pitches. Excited to dive into this one. His podcast, Billion Dollar Tech, reaches founders, executives, VCs, and PE investors globally. Yesterday, Brandon and I talked about the 12 Immutable Laws of High-Impact Messaging. Truthfully, we were all over the board, but his book is something I would definitely suggest checking out because he provides a framework on there. So I have not read it yet, but I was checking it out yesterday and I'm going to get it. Today, we're going to talk about diversifying Expedia in a crowded marketplace. So let's get into it with Brandon Dell, the messaging expert and tech executive at Brandon Dell. All right, brother. Talk to us about Expedia. How the hell did they win in this crazy category? We want to hear all about it. and We're going to be taking some notes because, boy, we're probably at home and I have clients. I know other people are starting businesses that they're in a crowded marketplace. I was at the PGA show last week and literally I'm in with some buddies in a golf laser hardware business. I'm like, shit, now there's 30 lasers out here. What the hell are we going to do? So I know, you know, you go to CES and I remember seeing like the massage gun. I'm like, there's 50 massage guns
2: uh, all well, doing the same on. thing. What's a, what's so, a golf laser business? That's where we need to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> good, good
1: question. Good question. So like, you know, like your range finders, you know, there's like Bushnell and Blue Tees. I have some friends that I'm, I'm helping and sit on the board of their company that basically have a golf company that not only does it scope your shot like a traditional golf laser would do, but it also feeds an app to help you better your game. So you see where your misses are, you see where your hits are, and you're just using the same thing you always do, which is a laser. So that's how we're differentiated. But boy, there was there's was, <laughs> there a lot of lasers out there. It was, uh, golf, I call them
2: lasers or laser, golf lasers, but rangefinders. So good question. We can talk about Expedia. Yeah. Right. The challenge with an example like Expedia is that they're dealing in very different market dynamics than the average company is. Because they are at this level of scale where people are making very discreet choice. There's not 50 options of Expedia versus it's basically Expedia, Booking, their subsidiary brands, and Crumbs. That's sort of what that market looks like. It's Coke and Pepsi. There's not, a, you know, most people, the overwhelming majority of people are booking on either Expedia or Booking.com. Those companies each own like. I don't know the number now, but XP owns like 50 sub-brands, something like that, Hotels.com, all the different brands. So we can talk about how they get... It, but yeah, it's, it's just a little bit different.
1: Well, and it's kind of what you said earlier, Brent, about like 75% of the market share is owned by one brand. Like it's... You look at most categories, you're, you're probably pretty sure. So that's kind of what you're saying, Expedia, they're dominant.
2: They're dominant, but so what we can do. So, looking at your golf laser, the way like as an example, how do you differentiate in a crowded market? So you're in a space where you've got a bunch of golf lasers, right? And they all do kind of similar things,
1: pretty much the same thing,
2: pretty much the same thing. So here's the questions that I would start to ask to figure out how are we going to position a laser like yours to feel look different. The first question I would say is, is there differences in golf? Like to me, golf sounds like golf sounds like golf, but I bet if you get into golf. There's subcategories of golf, different kinds of golfers, or maybe you're into different. How does that market break down?
1: Yeah. So, like, the way I've done it is I look at like a high end provider, a low end provider, and like, you know, you're not the Ferrari, you're not the Daewoo or, you know, low end brand provider. Like, where are you in that segment? Are you mid to high? Are you mid to low? Like, where are you going to play? And then where are your competitors? And then what sort of product differentiation do you have? So, for example, Rad Golf, our suite of golf hardware technology products. The way we're differentiated and our laser comes out in May of this year is it tracks, it has a shot tracking capability, which others don't. So, what does it mean? Like, a lot of times, a lot of the board members and tech people are going, Hey, Let's talk about this platform. I'm like no one cares about a platform. What does it do, right? Like to your point like what's the benefit? Like how does this better our lives? And in our particular case what this golf laser does is by showing insights to your game, it's going to help you play better. It's going to shave strokes off your game without practicing more, without using a bunch of crap out on the course. And so that's kind of where we're going with product differentiation, but I'm I'm curious what you think if we need to dive in deeper. And and we're We're not high end, as we're probably higher end on the market. Like Blue Tees is killing us. Like they're they've come out of nowhere as the D to C brand, and they're like cheap lasers, and they're cool, and they're fun. And so we're not Blue Tees. We're not Bushnell. We kind of have our own market segment, which is golf improvement, but kind of higher end than Blue Tees. But Bushnell's you know been around forever.
2: What is the benefit of tracking your shot versus the range finding? Again, this comes from someone who. Doesn't get golf, (laughs) you know. I I know it works, but so golf.
1: So golf's about like misses, right? And so you're you're trying to figure out like, and shaving three to five strokes off your game consistently is really difficult, and it's very time consuming. But you know, we're all competitive, and we want to improve. We just don't have the time, right? So no one takes lessons, and you're not hitting the range. And so if you know you're hitting the ball, for example, off a tee seventy percent to the left and your irons actually don't go to the left, they go to the right. Or you think you hit your five iron 200 yards, but you really only hit it about 185 consistently. And so you start to really start to get some insights and statistics to your game fed to your app in real time. Hmm. So you can you can make better decisions on how you're going to aim, how you're going to hit the ball, what club are you going to hit, what part of the game do you need to work on? So there's a company called Arcos that says they're going to do that. They put little things in the top of the club and uh, they're a pain in the ass. They really... They just aren't working very well, well well-funded. So we're like the better version of Arcos, but like through a a laser because who wants to change what you're doing on the course? You have your habits built in. It's hard to change your habit, right? And so that's kind of our thesis, if you will, is that by not changing any part of how you play the game, you're just going to have real-time insights for every round you play on your app. And then once you get users to an app, then there's a lot of really cool data and things that you can do and things that you know about customers that get kind of exciting. So people kind of go down that rabbit hole, but I always think like from a consumer standpoint, like, why do they give a shit? Well, they give a shit because you basically can play around just by using a laser that you already use. And, you know, right after the round and the next day, you can go and see like your insights to your game. So if you're shooting 85 shots in a, in a game, where are those three shots that are killing you and how can you shave those and score better?
2: It sounds like you guys do have differentiation though, because if no one else is tracking shots and tracking shots by understanding track shots, you can identify ways to miss less, essentially.
1: Correct. Now people are tracking shots. You can track your shots on a mobile phone, right? You can say, Oh, I hit here. I hit here. Which is a pain in the butt. You don't want to change your routine. You can put little nubs on into your clubs and screw around with an app. So there are small ways to track shots. Pros do it and their caddies do it. But it's not done without like doing something you're already doing, like clicking a laser. So it's that's how it is differentiated. It's, it's basically hardware feeding an ecosystem app. But again, then we like we had a golf watch, and then we had a golf feature,
2: and we had all this other shit in there. It's like, no, really it's about the laser. Well that's where I'm going is to me, it sounds like without knowing this, but the process that I would be working through to figure out what is this is People are going out to improve their golf game. So, what are the sub things that they're thinking about that they're trying to do within that to improve their golf game? They go out there, they want to understand swing bias, or they want to, you know, like what are these micro things that they want guidance on? And I would then be breaking it down to say, this thing track, you know, this is the only thing, and use these words in the marketing, right? But you position as this is the only thing that's going to allow you to easily understand, right? These jobs that you need to accomplish to shorten your, to improve your golf game. So if that's tracking your shot, right, you can say, you can use that as a point of differentiation and build fame around it. The whole point of positioning anything, I mean, and you know this, is to build fame, right? That people recognize you as the best solution for a given problem they have. So if you can index on what's the thing that we want to be famous for more than anyone else and then really hammer that home, sounds like you guys may, may already have a really, Compelling
1: to Yeah, it situation. sounds like we're going the right right direction. But this is helpful. And is, I love this. Is, this is what's great about this podcast. Like, all right, we're supposed to, to be expedient, but we're like, nah, screw that. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's dive into this. <laughs> because I think going back and forth as marketers thinking about how to position an existing product is great. And so what I heard is find that thing that really makes you famous and hammer it. And It sounds like you're using more qualitative insights from people, not necessarily quantitative, right? Like individual people, like how is this helping them and kind of validating our thesis around the shot tracking capability that people get excited about. And I I think we have some a lot of validation from people of all golf handicaps. They seem pretty excited about this capability. And I'm not allowing the board and and our people to get Traps around marketing too many things, right? You get one thing, and that's what you're saying too: is find that one thing to be famous for, not three things, and make sure that one thing is really differentiated.
2: Did I miss anything? No, I, I think that's accurate. And you, you know, you think about something like MasterClass, for example. That I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's a, you know, absolutely e-learning, right? And they've essentially taken the best people. And for those unfamiliar, they've taken the sort of the best. You know, the Gordon Ramsay teaches you how to cook, or famous director X teaches you how to make movies or they even have basketball players on there and so forth. So if you think about what their positioning is, e-learning, there is no shortage of courses and there is no shortage of competition. And it was no different when they launched. There was still this huge, vast ecosystem, right? And so their positioning is you're going to learn from the best in the world. And that's the thing that you remember when you think about masterclass. And so if that's what you want, you go to them. You don't go to... All the other sub brands. So for a, a, something like a laser, it's what is it that we? Yeah, there's things out there to measure your distance, but what's the thing that we can promise people that they're you know that that this thing is going to uniquely help them accomplish it and just get them to remember it? You know, you can really carve out that space.
1: How did Expedia do that as well? Like, let, let me bring it back just a little bit. How, what was the thing they were? Fa- just another sub point is I think that's why influencers can be so helpful. Once you find that thing they can be someone that validates that thing and help make it famous from a distribution standpoint and from an endorsement
2: standpoint. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, in one form or fashion, whether you're paying for the attention via ads, paying for it via influencers, developing it, which is still a resource organically over time, right? And that's a time and money resource to develop that organic influence. Most people, especially in the consumer space, where do you find out about things? A very small percentage are gonna see like you sponsored a golf tournament or whatever, but the masses, it's gonna be some form of social, right? That's where people are coming and, and getting their information. That's true in in the enterprise space and it's true in the consumer space. And these are already people they know, like, and trust. So you get to shortcut that whole trust building thing by using influencers. So I totally agree. The expedia question. So what they were trying to do at the time, and I'm trying to ride the line here in terms of what I'm can. Share publicly with yeah, them. Yeah, no, <laughs> I've noticed that
1: on that show, we're always kind of like, okay, what can we talk about? What numbers can we talk about? What are we, yeah, in <laughs> for sure. But yeah, whatever you
2: can. I mean, essentially, the situation they were in is they had been sort of the 800 pound gorilla. Booking had started to make some inroads. And unit I was working on at that time was the so there's two sides to Expedia there's the big consumer side that you're familiar with, and there's the side that has to go basically get people onto the platform, right? So there's all the, you have to market to get all the hotels and so forth to give you, and there's this whole behind the scenes thing that happens of you're fighting for inventory, basically. Like hotels can open up X amount of inventory to you, small properties can open up X amount of inventory to you, and they can set different rates, they can set different promotions. And so the question is, how do you then influence this you know, market to give you versus booking? preferential rates, preferential inventory, and all those sorts of things. And so that was the the large initiative that we were working on at the time. And a lot of that with Expedia, so this is not as succinct of an answer, but I think it's as like a tagline or something, but I think it's illustrative in terms of how you tell your story is that what Expedia had basically said is they tried to market themselves to the greater partner ecosystem, meaning to hotel owners and so forth as the most partner-centric organization out there, that you are going to get access to their huge volume of inbound search traffic. They have, as you can imagine, just this immense site authority, inbound, pay-per-click dominance, and all this stuff. So you're going to get access to all this stuff. You're going to get the best terms and rates, and we're going to be the most partner-centric organization. But what I found when I started to get in there is that The things they were saying, the story they were telling was not congruent with the actions that they were taking. And it was not congruent with the way they were actually conducting their day to day. So so for any brand out there who's, you know, who's saying something as platitude as we have the best service, right? Or like you take a big promise, like we're helping to, we're an influencer marketing platform and we're helping to amplify the voices of creators everywhere or something, whatever the big promise is you're making to the market. Are you really living that promise that you're making? Because if you're not authentic to what you're saying, people will buy it the buy it the first time, but they they will not come back. The yeah, second, you're
1: gonna third. you're gonna get pride. Yeah, the the best way to kill a, a bad product is good marketing. Uh, yes, yeah. if you're not fulfilling yeah. a bad promise. Yeah, I, I like agree. that.
2: I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: good. And I do think I I love how you you had kind of behind the curtain of Expedia because I think a lot of times. Um, a lot of brands forget that they a lot of times have two audiences. You have the audience, or sometimes even three, right? You could have your investor audience, you could you could have ten totally. audiences, right? You have an investor audience, you have a consumer audience, you have a uh, a distribution audience, so your vendor partner is kind of like an Expedia's case. I've seen a lot of lotteries around the country and you know, we have a consumer audience, and then we really have a, a distribution audience, like our C stores and our grocery stores, you know, what do they want? How can we support them? So what was Expedia from a consumer standpoint known for? Was it obviously fast? Was it fast, cheap booking? Did they own that? And then they were really trying to make sure the hotels wanted to work with them in comparison to like others outside the space. And then they they didn't really deliver. And then Google and other people came in. I'm tr- trying to understand where, where you're getting at there.
2: Well, I think the... So from the consumer side of things, I think the almost more interesting than, than the Expedia example... Of like how to succeed in a market is the booking example and how they came in and started to eat that market share, and you can look and say, Expedia basically, for a long time their promise was always around value, right? You know they're an online travel agency. They're basically saying come here and you're going to get the cheapest, insert whatever it is you're looking for, hotels, flights, etc. And what Booking did is they introduced a much better, more consumer-centric experience that was much easier to use was much easier to look at was all of the things that we want in a modern experience and so they changed the promise to a market and basically created one rather just a value to ease and to efficiency and they were able to really make huge huge inroads against essentially a Coca-Cola competitor right so by being more customer centric and really honoring that commitment to customers they were able to really Eat their lunch for a little bit there.
1: It makes sense. And and from a design, from a design standpoint, there are a ton of case studies on just how design flow as people are booking can make huge inroads. Sounds like Expedia got a little lazy and they fried some partners and allowed booking a window to get in. And then of course, now Google's in the travel business and everybody else is coming to that space. What would be like kind of the last takeaway for the audience? I know we've 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 gone all over the place today, which I love because I I do think it's so in marketing, I do think it's a little I'm trying to think of the word, but just obvious where we're like, hey, strategy first, strategy first, like get alignment, strategy first, like differentiate, like find your niche and own it. And like we talk a lot about this stuff, but then you look in the marketplace and it doesn't happen. And and I still don't think we're spending enough time. I still think non-marketing people, especially in our organization, CEOs. Board members, clients really continue to not even disregard, but not respect the strategy process as much as they need to. And then we go to market with crap. And just because we have great creative, I mean, we've seen Super Bowl commercials. I mean, there's great content out there. There's great distribution ways to get it out there. But at the end of the day, if it's, if it's truly not done from a, a strategy homework point of view, if it's, if it's not aligned, if it's not something that you can truly deliver on. It doesn't work, and then marketing gets blamed. <laughs> so it sounds like that's what I was just am hearing from you. Really getting back to that product positioning standpoint.
2: I don't know any anything I'm missing. I think you're. So they they did a study called "The Long and the Short of It," looking at what makes marketing successful, and what essentially they found is you're trying to optimize for fame, which is what we discussed, right? It's not like for price. It's not like. You're trying to be the trusted authority in a space. The famous brand in a space is the one that that outs- gets the outsized win.
1: I love the optimization of fame has that is that a new thing, or has it always been you need to optimize for fame in this new marketplace and especially now with the the personal brand i'm mean, I'm doing damn podcasts and you know social content and everyone else is out there trying to get famous for their craft. Is that more new or has it always been like that?
2: I think that it's always been like that to a degree. And when you say fame, it's really it's trust among a clear group of amongst a clear group of buyers, right? Somebody, a succinct tribe that understands who you are and how you uniquely help them solve a problem. And so the reason I say this is you said that often there's not enough credence given to the strategy. If you as an organization are going to fulfill a promise to a market from a product level, from a marketing level, from a sales level, from a customer success level, of saying, you're here, market, you've got this problem, and we've developed this very unique way of helping you solve it and self actualize, realize a better version of yourself. If you can't succinctly articulate that, as the CEO to your organization to say, this is the change we're making for our customers, and this is why it matters that we help them make this change now. If you can't do that, then you're not building a product that is aligned against that North Star, your marketing is not aligned against that North Star, your sale, right? Everybody's going in all these different directions. And what you end up with is these little incursions, right? You get like marketing strikes. And you never get that broader brand awareness among the market to really become known for a thing and become the default choice. And so it's absolutely imperative. And for early stage companies, you don't stop everything you're doing and do this day one. Some of this evolves over time. But you need to be able to communicate what is the thing you want people to know about you. you. If they get to know one thing about you, what's that thing? You need to be able to articulate that as leadership. Otherwise, if you can't, How the hell is your sales team going to do it? How the hell is your marketing team going to do it? How's your success team going to know? It's impossible.
1: I mean, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there's different phrases that you've put together your insights into the business that I really, really enjoy. Especially when you talk about last, I don't know, whatever CMO conference I was at, all the CMOs, like their new buzzword like we all hear in marketing is North Star. The year before that, it was like brand purpose. But I think they're all the same thing. And basically what you're saying is getting alignment on what that one thing is. I put a little thing out. I don't remember on my social or something where I had the city slickers thing where Curly puts up his little one thing fingers like, you know what? You know what really matters? Like what, Curly, you know? And it's like one thing. And you're like, well, what is that? It's like, well, that's what you got to figure out. And that's really what I think CMOs are talking about too, that North Star for big brands. Like what is that one thing that is super clear for consumers? and that you can deliver on to make famous. And then we can start talking about all the tactics to distribution of, of that fame, right? Whether it's influencers or social or paid or PR or stunts or whatever. What are whatever, we doing you know, we here? About.
2: Like said even like more basically, right? Like as a company, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what and why? And a lot of companies, they, they can't... Like in the tech business, people will start by saying, well, we're sort of a lightweight version of... This tool plus that tool plus this, this tool, right? What I just said is a, I gave you a product statement. I didn't give you a problem statement. We help finance executives to X, Y, and Z, right? Because they have this problem. I gave you a what I do statement, not a why you needed statement. And so most companies can't articulate that. What are we doing here statement? What's the problem we're solving? I had this gentleman named Tony Jamus on the podcast he founded Oyster HR, which is a maybe $3 billion company now. I don't know. It's, I get the valuations mixed up in my head. Anyhow, he's done this in like less than three years. And one of his insights to me was, there's too many companies out there with solutions searching for problems. And I thought that was just like a very succinct way of saying it. And <laughs> And I thought, so that's what people end up with is they have this solution and they're looking for problems for it instead of saying, what's the problem I'm solving? And then focusing there.
1: I agree and the other thing I think companies struggle with is they don't want to give something up, right? Like to really own a thing in a niche, then you're giving up potential revenue somewhere else and they get all scared. Like I've done it too like as an agency. I've been it's hard to commit, right? Like because if you get that wrong, then you've given away, you know, other revenue sources, especially like in in the professional service business. I see this quite a bit. We all want to kind of eat our cake and and, and you know, have it too. So I think this is great. We got to wrap up because we we're like we went long, but I, I think there's some great insights. I mean, this was definitely right up the alley of the rebrand that we're talking about branding and we're talking about how great companies do it. But uh, I'm going to end it here. Big thanks to Brendan Dell, the messaging expert and tech executive at Brandon Dell for joining us. If you'd like to contact Brendan, you'll find a LinkedIn profile in our show notes and you can contact him on Twitter. Or his handle is twitter.com Brandon or visit company website at brendandell.com. Another link in our show notes I want to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes, who does? We're going to do it all for you. It's all at the rebrandpod.com. We've got episodes, summaries, links, everything you need is just at rebrandpod.com. Feel free to subscribe to our newsletter. We're trying to build a community of great marketers and we want to share learnings and failures and everything else. So subscribe to that. And uh, you can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all this stuff. We just started the rebrand, but you can probably find me easier. And that's just at Scott Harkey pretty much anywhere or SharkyAZ on Twitter. Again, uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe because uh, we have a podcast for you. Just write your app, whether it's Spotify or Apple. We want to make it easy for you. We've built a community of almost 5,000 marketers on the show in probably about two months time, uh, which is pretty cool. So we're, I think we're, we're making a difference. We're learning as we go. We're trying to get better and better every day. So that's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.